0: Welcome to the Women in Family Law podcast. I'm Hannah Markham, the Chair of the Association. Women in Family Law connects, encourages, and promotes professional women across the field of family law in England and Wales. We offer advice, support, and mentoring, and of course, these podcasts. Well, welcome everybody to the Women in Family Law podcast. And I'm absolutely delighted this afternoon to be joined by a very good friend of mine and a fabulous lawyer, now consultant at Family Law in Partnership, one of the most innovative and creative people of our generation. So welcome this afternoon, Gillian Bishop.
1: Thank you very much, Suzanne. Lovely to have a chat as always.
0: Well, great to see you. To start off with, Gillian, I just wondered if you could tell me a bit about how you got into Family Law in the very beginning.
1: Gosh, that's a very long way back. I hope um, my memory doesn't fail me at this moment. So I decided to do law because my chosen career of being a speech therapist required me to be good at biology and I wasn't. So I needed to find something else that I was good at. And I thought a law degree would give me a route to other professions, including the law, when I worked out what I wanted to do. Uh, it was no surprise really that inevitably I ended up doing law and doing it I realized that the bits that I was most interested in were the bits that involved people so criminal law, family law, employment, personal injury, those were the bits that most interested me and it was it was fairly obvious to me anyway uh, early on that I would want to do one of those and when I finished my training contract or my article clerkship as it was called back in those days I joined the litigation department of a West End firm where I'd done my training contract and in those days we are talking back the early 1980s family law was part of uh, litigation it was just yet another thing that you did and it then became quite clear to me the the person I needed to be, the lawyer I needed to be as a litigator was increasingly different from the person I needed to be as a family lawyer. So there came a point uh, when I had to decide whether I was going to stick doing litigation, which included family, or just do family law. And I think my decision was helped by the fact that at about the same time as I qualified resolution or then the Solicitor's Family Law Association started, and so consequently there was this idea of family law being something that wasn't litigation, that it was a separate discipline in itself. So I made the jump in 1995, gave up the litigation completely, and set up what is now Family Law in Partnership.
0: Yes. So you've been an entrepreneur as well in terms of setting up a law practice. Quite amazing. Um, And tell me, have you had mentors along the way, people who have helped you in your career? Well, I always
1: think back to my days as a a trainee and as a newly qualified solicitor. When I was a trainee, I shared a room with a a guy called David Sprecker who was working at the firm I was in at the time I mean he's, he left I think two or three years later but he was my supervisor for want of a better word in the in litigation and he taught me so much I mean he taught me a lot of stuff that wasn't anything to do with law like how to break a pencil with your finger and how to and how to write in messages in initial speak and still be able to understand it very useful skills I might add but what he taught me was that to do family law well you needed to be very clear where your boundaries were and you needed to know what was your issue and what was your client's issue and you needed to be able to be objective about the work you did because the minute that you became subjective and got caught up in the emotions of the case that you stopped Being a good lawyer for your client you stop being the person that they needed you to be and those bits of advice that he gave me were so crucially important and have been in my whole career and I indeed that it's advice that I share with all the young lawyers that I come across to help them demark where they stop and their clients begin if you like
0: so he's all perhaps boundaries becoming even more difficult and even more blurred as we're working from home now I think that's become really hard
1: I, I think so because the pressures of the job just become much more stark when you're doing it in isolation which we have of course been for a whole year
0: what about the highlights you know are there any particular cases any particular ways of working that you have really enjoyed and thought yes that's a highlight of my career I mean, there's so many
1: potential answers to that. You know, I think the highlights of the career beyond, you know, the successes, if you like, which of course there have been some, which is nice and setting up the firm, you know, clearly a highlight. But for me, some of the highlights have been working with really lovely people, clients who I've stayed in touch with, become friends with, clients who have shared really quite difficult times in their life with me. I'll never forget a client, I think this was about 1998 or something, who who, one of her children was killed in an accident whilst I was acting for her. He was only seven. And the the devastation of that for her was um, unimaginable, really. But for me, the fact that she was able to share with me, she wrote her son's life story and she produced three copies of it and she gave me one of them. I mean, I think that will live with me till my dying day and I still got the copy that she gave me all those years ago. And I think, you know, that's in some ways what makes this job so incredible is that those sorts of things happen and they they change you and they stay with you and they kind of in some way make you a better person So it's a strange highlight, but it's nevertheless one of the highlights for me. As I say, beyond the kind of the highlights of setting up the practice, seeing it reach its 25th anniversary last September. Sadly, all celebrations off until the 26th anniversary. (laughs)
0: Looking forward to the party, flip and throw a
1: party. (laughs) Exactly. You know, so... That's obviously been a major a major part of my life as a family lawyer has been uh, in Flip, and uh, I've loved every single minute of that.
0: And what do you do to maintain that sort of balance? You've talked about your life as a family lawyer, but everyone talks about work-life balance. How do you manage to sort of maintain that?
1: Well, I support Liverpool Football Club, which uh, has its highs and at the moment, its lows. That's been a lifelong passion for me. Uh, This year, it will be, how old am I? Oh, it will be 50 years this year. 50 years this year that I've been a Liverpool fan, which will be amazing. What I do actually, uh, the thing that kind of really keeps me going is that every year I, I take myself off for eight days of silence and solitude. And really, I'm an introvert, although nobody believes me when I say that. But what I mean is I draw my energy from within. Mm-hmm. And I need to have silence and solitude in order to kind of fill up my well, if you like. And that really sets me up for the year, as well as just I love walking in nature. And this year with the lockdown, I've, I've just counted up the number of photographs that I've got of our local nature reserve, which has got 185 acres of lakes and stuff. And uh, I've got nearly 3000 photographs taken. A journal for a lockdown
0: year (laughs) (laughs) would be fantastic. Well, it's been
1: fabulous watching the seasons change Mm. in close up, because the place itself has not changed, but the appearance of it and the look of it and the seasons Uh, Watching all of that has been fascinating and completely uplifting.
0: Fantastic. And what about your current role? What are you up to at the moment?
1: Well, I'm a consultant now at FLIP and enjoying the diversity that that affords me. I'm still doing some client work and I'm still doing or open for arbitrations, I should say, children arbitrations. Uh, But I'm developing my faculty, FLIP faculty, which is the kind of training organization a separate company i should add from flip itself but um we're trying to develop trainings for lawyers in the stuff that isn't generally taught Uh so we're trying to develop some really deep and meaningful skills trainings we've done some of that we're training parenting coordination which is an alternative to people going back to court endlessly and we're training people to be supervisors for family lawyers which I think with well-being now being so high up the agenda now supervision and other forms of reflective practice are really taking centre stage and I'm actually also doing supervision I'm now a qualified supervisor for family lawyers and so I'm doing supervision in other firms it's quite important I think that your supervisor is someone separate from your own firm because then you can be completely uh, open about the I can be impartial and they can be much more candid than they might otherwise be and that that has really shown me close up just how important an opportunity for reflective practice is so um, I'm doing that and I'm it's great, actually. I've you know, i got the space by doing less client work to uh, really open up other avenues and, you know, a bit of blue sky thinking and all that sort of stuff.
0: Talking of blue sky thinking, I think you've done a lot of that in lockdown and you've reflected on the things that have changed since you've been a family lawyer and perhaps more importantly, what needs to change. And I just wondered if you could share some of your thinking.
1: Oh, how long have we got?
0: (laughs) However long you'd like. You've got about 15 minutes. (laughs) I I could
1: talk about about this forever. I think we've got to really take a long, hard look at ourselves. I think there's an issue within the profession as a whole and not just family lawyers. And that issue is fear. There's a real fear culture. People are frightened of all sorts of things, which I think stops us from being really really brilliant at our our job so just looking at and thinking about my own uh, practice and years at the coalface so to speak I think lawyers have been perpetually uh, frightened of not meeting their targets Uh, and this can get in the way I think sometimes it can get in the way because there must be some temptation to kind of add on a unit here and there and everywhere in order to make sure that you make your target. There's also a temptation to just stay longer and longer and longer at the desk. I won't say in the workplace because our desks are all at home now, aren't they? But in order to achieve our target. So if you have to work 10 hours a day in order to record five or six chargeable hours, you know, that that's not really very good for us. There is a tendency, I think, to be seen to be doing better than other people. There's a fear of failure, of getting it wrong, of making a mistake, of being found out. You know, that old kind of imposter syndrome where you don't go on holiday in case somebody looked at your file and discovered that you know you were a complete fraud. That is allayed to some extent, I think, by the fact that people now have laptops and iPhones and iPads and God knows what that they take on holiday so that they can keep working but of course that then means that they're not looking after themselves they're not having the well-deserved rest that they need uh, and uh, that's really important I insist I've always insisted on having proper holidays and having time off away from the from the client pressures away from emails uh, because how else do you recover uh, and and really we re, you know get your energy levels back up because and it's quite trite I think but it's true as they say in the airlines if the oxygen masks fall down you have to put your own on first before you help other people and we don't do that as a profession we don't put our uh, our masks on first we just think that we've got to keep working we've got to keep working if the client needs us we've got to keep working my clients have always known not to phone me (laughs) at weekends (laughs) and not to expect a response from me when I'm on holiday because I've been able to set those boundaries, to be really clear about, you know, the fact that I need to have the time off if I'm going to do a good job for them. And actually I've never had any clients complain about that. But I think if you make yourself constantly available, you get constantly abused Uh, that that generosity is actually not used to your advantage or indeed the clients
0: of course we're lucky Gillian because we were brought up in an era where there were no such things as mobile phones and
1: emails so
0: people couldn't get hold of you so I think to that extent the way we started work has enabled us to continue in that way in a in a way that perhaps for younger lawyers it hasn't and perhaps it's interesting for you to say that and I think it is right to acknowledge that people do need to be bounded and to have you know time when mm-hmm. they're doing their own thing and not necessarily working so mm-hmm. I think well I remember as a
1: as a younger lawyer before I mean this was easily 27 or eight years ago at my previous firm it was certainly before flip and one of the partners was shocked that I wasn't going to be a, I wasn't taking my mobile phone or whatever we had then that I wasn't going to be available to be contacted when I was on holiday and and it sort of indicated that that would be a you know a, st- a stop on my career I wouldn't go as far as he had uh, if I wasn't going to make myself available 24-7 well, you've
0: proved, you proved him wrong I
1: have yes
0: so so they're the sorts of things that cause you concern what do you think should happen in the profession to make this better to write it
1: well i think we need to start off by being honest with ourselves about what's not working i mean i think we know from lockdown that the court system is is bust uh, it's just not good fit for purpose at all and that's not just in the family law field that's in you know criminal justice and probably in civil justice as well We've got to be honest with ourselves about what's getting us in the way of putting our clients front and centre of everything that we do. And we've got to start working together more. We've got to stop trying to compete with each other, with other firms. Obviously, in the way the family law is set up and most disputes, you have to have one lawyer for one party, one lawyer for the other. Although that I think is probably, ripe for change but at the moment that's what we've got but if our if our endeavors are all about billing more doing better than other firms you know climbing higher and higher we're forgetting what we're doing the work for which is for our clients and their families so i think we need to have a really good look at ourselves and i don't have all the answers by any means but i think that we We need to develop a culture where the fear starts to lessen, where people are able to speak up, where people, if they've made a mistake or haven't hit targets or whatever it is, don't feel that they're going to be castigated and not supported. Of course, we've got to make money. Of course, we have to. But we can probably we probably need to start thinking about how we do that. Do we have to do it in this sort of hierarchical, the top people take, you know, cream off all the profits and everybody else gets what's left? You know, should we be looking at a more cooperative way of working? It's interesting, there was an article in the Gazette just today, I think, about the number of these kind of firms that are growing up like Keystone and others where people are are not in traditional partnerships anymore but are kind of earning money from the work that
0: they do. Sort of almost like chambers, like, yeah, self-employed, yeah. a group of self-employed uh, people working together to some extent for, in terms of having resources that they use together but then taking the profit that they actually earn as it were. Um, yeah and I, and I think
1: yeah exactly and you know you'd need to work out a way of doing that to involve junior people mm-hmm. because of course juniors need to be trained and they you know they need to be helping out and what have you but it can't be beyond the wit of man to come up with a scheme that enables that to happen so that the pressure of hitting targets is much diminished so that we can actually devote our energies Towards our clients, rather than towards you know hitting these often mythical targets, because you know I certainly I certainly know of places where good is hitting your hundred percent of your target, but actually the expectation is that you do a lot more than that. Well, that's meaningless then. Targets are meaningless if you're if a hundred percent isn't really good enough.
0: So if you had a magic wand what three initiatives would you like to bring in? You're in charge of family law now, so you tell us what three things you would say we should be doing from now.
1: Oh, my goodness. I wasn't expecting this question, so I'll have to think carefully about the answer. First of all, I think that there should be, well, I would say mandatory, but I'm sure not everybody would agree with that. But there needs to be a much greater use of reflective practice, whether that's supervision or coaching or counselling or whatever it is there needs to be some space for lawyers to take stock of what they're doing and see what effect it's having on them and not just in the negative way but also in the positive way you know sometimes we've got things to celebrate uh, and sometimes we don't just don't have any space to you know to say actually didn't I do well there uh, you know I really did that job well I really had that difficult conversation well you know we need to have a space to to pat ourselves on the back sometimes but more importantly we need to understand what what effect this work has on us we operate in a fairly toxic environment and to think that it doesn't affect us is is nonsense so reflective practice is number one Uh, the second thing is that I think that family lawyers really need to get a grip on the skills that uh, will help us understand what's going on for our clients and indeed ourselves and not just a kind of hour and a half quick seminar on you know psychology of divorce which we've probably all been to dozens of times but hasn't really made a massive difference to the way that people practice you know if we really understood that if we really understood how relationships work if we understood what the impact of child arrangements are on children you know we would be much less uh, sanguine about sort of parceling them up and having them pass from pillar to post the effect of a, on a child of having to change homes every three or four days is immense and i don't think anyone's really stopped to think about what that impact is while we Blithely say, Oh, it's all quite normal nowadays, you know, to share parenting and equal time and what have you. Nobody kind of was really thought through, I don't think, from the child's perspective, what that's like in practice. So I think there's a lot of training Mm -hmm. that's needed, including basic things like boundaries, learning to listen, learning to ask questions in a way that you get deep and meaningful answers and not the answer that the client thinks you're wanting to hear so lots of training uh, is required and i think that actually fits in with the report from the family solutions group in november uh, where they were talking about mandatory training Uh, and i agree with them although i think it's possible to go further and deeper than they than they suggest and the third thing would be to devise a different way of working so that everybody benefits from the work that they do everybody makes money but we're much less stressed by that uh, and we're much more able to concentrate on doing a good job for our clients that's not bad off the hoof is it (laughs) not
0: bad at all I like it they were really good Uh, huge insights I would expect nothing less and just finally, what advice would you give to younger lawyers or indeed what advice would you have given to the younger Gillian Bishop just starting out?
1: Um, to believe in myself.
0: Fantastic. I tell myself
1: that now, actually. Brilliant. the same advice for now.
0: But. Anything you'd like to add before we close? Uh, no, thank you for allowing
1: me to uh, be one of your podcastees. It's been great fun, as always. Yeah, I I would just like to add, if people have agree with anything that I've said about what I think needs to happen in the profession, then I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear from you if you disagree, but I'd particularly like to hear from you if you do agree, because I think, you know, two or three other people with similar views um, enables us to start the conversation.
0: Well, I can say that I agree with you, if that helps at all. So, of course. I, thank of course. you. Thank you very much, Gillian, for being my guest today. Just provided so much food for thought. I knew we would get some great insights in listening to you and you haven't um, failed. You've been perfect. So thank you very much for being my guest. Lovely. It's
1: my pleasure. My pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to the Women in Family Law podcast. Our theme music is Low Tide by Sam Hare, found on Spotify. Please visit our website, womeninfamilylaw.net, or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at @wiflaw and follow, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts.